made an impact. You're not here just to celebrate Love Week. You're here for Bible study. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21. That is where we are going to hang out in our Bible study time today. If you're watching online, thanks for hanging out with us today from wherever you are, maybe in the middle of the week. Thanks for being with us. Matthew 21, grab your uh, kind of sermon resources out of your Bible study materials, out of your bulletin so that you can take notes or fire up your Journey Church International app so you can take notes that way. As you find your way to Matthew 21, remember that 21 days Days of prayer begins eight days from today. Journey, come pray with us. Come pray with us. We're going to pray over 21 days, 6 to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturdays. The first Saturday of our 21 days of prayer is August 24. We're asking all of our adult small group leaders to come pray on that day. We're praying we'll have more than 100 small group leaders praying together. That day we'll be praying for our small group ministry. And then I've asked all those leaders to stay an hour after, and we are going to pray individually by name for every person in our church who's in a small group. Say, how do you see God move in your church? Pray for a thousand people by name and the, and the need they have in their heart and watch God begin to move. If you are not in a small group, get in a small group. Why? You need someone to pray for you. If you're not in a serve group, get in a serve group. This morning, I walked around our church and I saw all of our huddles praying together before they started to deploy in ministry. And someone said, what do, what do they pray about? They're praying for you. They're praying if you've had the worst week of your life that today when you walk into church, you feel a, a breath of fresh air called the Holy Spirit. They're praying for you that if you just need to be away from your kids for 90 minutes, mom, that your kids will go into the infant preschool area without a fight and you can just sit and enjoy worship and the teaching of God's word. They're praying for you that if your marriage is struggling, you might find hope today. They're praying for you that if your teenager is scared to death to start another year of school, that today God will give him some kind. They're praying for you but they do it together. We serve together. We grow together. Please get in a group. If you're not in a group yet, consider getting in a group this year. We also, on the first day of 21 days of prayer, Monday, will be handing out this prayer guide um, that literally say, I don't even know how to pray. This for 21 days will teach you how to pray, what to pray, the scripture to study, um, the prayer request to write down. This is a wonderful guide. Come get this. Here's what I know about 95% of you. Not all of you, but most of you. If right now you open the calendar on your phone, and so what do I have going on Monday, August 19th from 6 to 7 a.m.? The answer is nothing. Um, so come pray with us. You don't have any reason not to. Come pray with us. Come pray with us. Come pray with us. Um, we're, we're in the 11th week of a series that we've been in this summer called The Parables of Jesus. The Parables of Jesus. We've been listening to Jesus tell stories, and we've been trying to find the truth in those stories. You say, what is a parable? If you've been here all 11 weeks of this series and you do not yet know what a parable is, you will never learn anything biblically in your life. It will be impossible if you don't remember this. A parable, we've said it every week. It's a Greek word made up of two words, parabalo, that means to throw alongside of or to place alongside of for the purpose of comparison. It takes two things and compares them to one another so you can learn something deep about the hard one to understand. Jesus often taught in parables because these are earthly stories that are revealed to have this deep spiritual meaning for people who, who would ask questions, for people who would go deeper, for people who would follow up and say, hey, tell me what that means. Last week, we were in the parable of the barren fig tree. We learned we had to feed and protect our roots. Be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little hands what you do. Be careful little feet where you go. You, you gotta be careful what you're feeding your roots. But we also learned last week 
that we got to feed our roots. Feed me, see more. We talked about feeding yourself with scripture from Little Shop of Horrors. Um, that was an illustration. You can't feed yourself with scripture through Little Shop of Horrors if you weren't here last week. Go back and listen to it. That was last week. Parable of the barren fig tree. This week, parable of the two sons. And here's what I'm hoping you'll see today. I'm hoping you'll see which son you are. We're going to be in the parable of the two sons. My question for you is, which son are you? Now, hopefully you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. You'll have to tell me about them. But my prayer is once I say these are the two sons and they represent two types of people that you'll be able to say, oh yeah, I'm that one or I'm this one. But really only God can reveal that to your heart. So before we jump into scripture, we always pray and we ask God to speak to our hearts. So if you do that, if you just bow your heads quickly, take a deep breath and clear the distractions from your head and your heart for the next 30 minutes and just ask God today, if you're a follower of Jesus, ask God through his Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and to show you which son you are. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I would ask you to pray today. Just dare to say a prayer. Ask God if he's real to let you feel him today. If God is really real, ask him to make that clear in this service. God, those are our prayers. Speak to our hearts. We see things in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. Matthew 21, we're going to read verses 28 through 32, but then we're going to hang out. So just if you have your Bible, keep it open. We'll flip around. Jesus says this, what do you think? What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. No, the son answered. Maybe some of you have a son like that. Every now and then I have a son like that. It's like, hey, can you help me out with something? No, Um, that was his son. He had a son. I won't, he answered. But later he actually changed his mind and went, good boy. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. Go and work in the vineyard today. He said, okay, I will. But then he didn't go. Which of the two actually did what the father wanted? The first, the crowd answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you still did not repent and believe in him. I've got two goals for you today. The first is this, that you would clearly see the proof of Jesus through today's message. If you've ever had the question, how do I know for sure Jesus really came from heaven? How do I know for sure Jesus was God's son? I'm going to try to give you proof of that today. And then number two, that you would clearly see the proof of your faith. That if you've ever wondered, how can I know if I'm really a Christian? How can I know if I'm really going to heaven? after this lifetime? How can I really know God loves me? I, I hope by the end of today's message, you'll be able to answer those questions. We're going to try to try to get to those objectives by asking two questions. What is this parable? What is this story comparison? And what is the point of it? Question number one, what is this parable? What's this comparison? Today's parable lays two things side by side to compare them to each other. Here's the first, how true obedience is seen in actions rather than just words. Most of you don't need a Bible teacher to help you discover that in today's parable. You're like, yeah, that's obvious. Jesus is saying, what would you want? Someone who gives you lip service or life service? It's kind of easy to see. Second point is a little more difficult, but I I think it might be one of the most important, maybe for the rest of this year for you spiritually and the relationships that you live in, how actions and reactions to truth reveal the heart. I think we're going to uncover some things spiritually today that, that might give you some aha moments and maybe that might equip you in your spiritual journey as a parent, as a, as a spouse, uh, as a coworker, as a neighbor, 
how actions and reactions to truth reveal what's really inside the heart of someone. We're going to have to dig a little more in to see that one. But all these things are going to come from this parable. In this parable, God represents the Father. The sons represent two types of people that are relating to God. As we dig into this parable, we're going to see three parallels, three things from this story that are true spiritually in our lives, that are true spiritually in our world. What are those? Number one, we're going to learn evidence creates accountability. You say, how do you, that, that seems like quite a jump, Christian, from the little parable that we just read. How, how does this story teach you, how does it teach me that evidence creates accountability? That's a great, great question, but if we dig deep, we're going to get there. Now, we're going to play a little word association game um, before we dig in to kind of show you how this works. I, I'm going to say a name. You're going to tell me the first thing that you think. If any of you grew up similar to me, this will work. If not, this will fail horribly. It means not, it, has, it will have no relation to the message, and we'll just move on. So a word association. I'm going to say a name. You're going to tell me the phrase that comes to your mind. The name is Paul Harvey. The phrase is the rest of the story, or good day, either one of them. Paul Harvey, the rest of the, like, when I used to ride to football practice with my dad when I was a kid, when I was the manager, when I got the water and got the footballs and the pads and everything ready, we were always listening to talk radio, and for some reason in that hour, they always had Paul Harvey giving the rest of the story. We loved it. We got quiet. We turned it up. We rolled the windows up. We didn't, we didn't turn them up. We actually rolled them up with a crank on the door. Some of you don't even know what that means, and we got quiet. Listen to Paul Harvey tell the rest of the story. We're going to learn from this parallel that evidence creates accountability, but you're going to have to know the rest of the story to see that. Because look how this story starts in Matthew 21, 28. And picture yourself walking into this conversation, all right? Matthew 21, 28 says this. What do you think? Jesus starts this teaching with what do you think? Which means he's not starting this teaching. He's already engaged in conversation. I mean, when, when, when our text starts like this, with this broken, what do you think? We have to think, they have already been talking about something that we don't understand yet. Like we have walked up on a crowd and we hear Jesus say, what do you think? We're tapping on someone's shoulder saying, what are they, what are they talking about? What's he talking about? What is, what is he teaching? And when you understand the context of that and you do, if you've been raised in church, you're there, you get it. Um, this question shows us how evidence creates accountability. Because as we get to Matthew chapter 21, we find ourselves on Palm Sunday. For those of you who have grown up in church, you may have raced down an aisle one time like I did when I was a little kid, waving a palm branch. Jesus tells his disciples at Bethany, two miles from the city of Jerusalem on the other other side of the Mount of Olives, go get me a donkey. He rides that donkey into town. It's just a few days before he'll be crucified. The townspeople show up. They're laying palm branches on the road. They're laying coats and cloths and blankets across the road. And they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are welcoming what they believe is the Jewish Messiah to Jerusalem to conquer the world. That's what they think is happening. Jesus rides into the temple. And he looks around the temple and all he sees is spiritual brokenness. So he starts turning over the tables and money changing. I mean, just spiritually, things are broken. And then he looks around the temple and he sees people who are physically broken. He sees people who need healing. He sees people who are in pain. He sees people who are hurting. And he begins to heal people. And all the while, there's these little children kind of singing and dancing around that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. he's finally here. Jesus is fixing everything. Had you and I walked upon this scene as Christians in the year of 2019, we would have like stopped and worshiped. We would have been like, this is the most beautiful scene in the world. Jesus is here and he is fixing everything that is broken spiritually. Does anyone else want Jesus to show up and fix everything broken spiritually? My gosh, I do. Jesus is here, 
and he is fixing everyone who's broken physically. He's healing everyone. Does anyone want Jesus to come in and fix everyone who's broken spiritually? My gosh, I do. And Jesus is here, and the children, the young generation, is saying, this is how it ought to be. Praise God. Like, that's, that's what I would think we would say. That is not what happened. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 and 15, all of this is going on. And in walks the crowd that Jesus is talking to. And they say this. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple. He healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. If you have a pen or a highlighter, you should circle that word right there, indignant. It is a really strong word in the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in. That word indignant means anger in action. Probably the best English word we have to describe that emotion is the word rage. They were in rage. You say, how angry were they? Five days later, they would murder him. They were mad. They were mad towards action. They were going to do something about what had happened. What's going on here? They saw spiritual brokenness being healed. They saw physical brokenness being healed. They saw children, the next generation, getting it. And, they, and they, wanted to, they wanted to kill the guy? So they walk up and they begin to engage him in conversation. Jesus leaves that day. The next day he comes back and they race up to Jesus and said, who told you you could do, do what you did yesterday? Who told you you could touch spiritual brokenness? Who told you you could help physical brokenness? Who told you you were allowed to accept praise from children? Who told you you could do all this? We find that conversation in verse 23. It leads to... Jesus' question of, what do you think? Here's what happens in verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts. We're on the next day now. We're within three days of Jesus being crucified, by the way. Jesus enters the temple courts, and while he's teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people, the spiritual leaders, supposedly, came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they ask? Who, who gave you this authority? Who told you you could do this? We run the temple, not you. We didn't sign off on this. Who told you you could do these things? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll answer you. I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. He's talking about John the Baptist, who three years earlier had shown up at the Jordan River outside of Jericho, 45 miles or so from Jerusalem, and he started baptizing people who were not allowed at the temple. He may have been a part of a group in the community called the Essenes who exist to basically speak out against the temple worship because it had become corrupt and the tax collectors and the sinners and the people who didn't fit in church went to John and said, the church won't accept this, but will God? And John said, yeah, if you repent and change your ways, absolutely. And he preached this message that the Messiah is coming. Get ready for him. Give your hearts to him. So Jesus said, John's baptism, where did that come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he's going to ask, why didn't you believe him? Can't say that. If we say of human origin, we're afraid of the people because basically everyone knows it came from heaven. So we can't say that. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I'm not going to answer your question, but I'm going to tell you a story. He said, what do you think? And he started telling them a story. Now, here's what's interesting about these Jewish leaders in Matthew 21, if this is the only picture of them we ever have. They appear. They appear to be seekers. They appear to be coming to Jesus saying, hey, if you help us understand this, we might be okay with it. 
if, if you would just give us a little more information, we might be cool with it, but, but help us understand a little bit. But that's not the reality of the hearts of these guys. See, the Jewish leaders' questions seem to be saying, should we follow you? They did not say, get out. They just said, help us understand who invited you here. Because if you give us information, we might be able to follow you. But their actions revealed they had no plan to. I mean, their words, their words sounded good. They just teach us more. But their actions proved they were never going to follow the teaching. They were like the young son. They'd been raised their entire life to say, we love God, we're going to follow God, we love God, we're going to follow God, we love God, we're going to follow God. And God said, okay, here's what I want you to do. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. You say, how do you know that? Because this wasn't Jesus' first trip to the temple. As a matter of fact, it would be one of his last. Three years earlier, he had one of his first trips to the temple in John chapter 5. And he had the exact same discussions with what I believe was the exact same group of people. Hey, who gave you permission to do this? At that time, he, you know, he really, he hadn't done a whole lot of ministry, probably hadn't yet preached the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on that Jesus was known for, but he, he, he had shown up and said, basically, hey, I'm, I'm here as the Jewish Messiah. And he said, you got to prove that. And in John chapter five, he said, okay, I, I, I can prove that. And in John chapter five, he gave for Christians three reasons why every Christian can believe that Jesus really came from God. He actually gave five, but he said, we won't count the first two because they would not be admissible in a court of law. In verse 31 of John chapter five, three years earlier, same conversation, same people. Who gave you authority to do this? Jesus said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. He didn't mean he was a liar. He meant it would not hold up in a court of law. You could not at that point get up and testify on your own behalf. He said, there's another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. You sent to John and he has testified to the truth, but I don't need to accept that human testimony. John and I are tight. I can't just put my friend on the stand. Legally, in Jewish court, you would need three witnesses to prove that something was true. You sent to John, he testified to the truth, but I don't need that. I mention it that you might be saved because John was a lamp that burned and gave light. You chose for a time to enjoy it. But I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I'm doing, these testify that the Father has sent me. He said, look at my miracles. Has there ever been anyone before or after in history like me who does miracles on behalf of people? Look at the works. He said in verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. The disciples there on the day he was baptized said, God actually spoke from heaven and you could hear him. You didn't hear his voice or see his form, nor does his word dwell in you because you don't believe in the one he sent. And you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus said, I could tell you to trust me, but you don't have to trust me. I could tell you to trust John, but you don't have to trust John because there's three pretty big things going on that you cannot deny. Number one, the works. Jesus said, look at the works. Look at what God has given me to do. I'm, I'm not normal. I'm abnormal. I'm not natural. I'm supernatural. Look at what I am doing. No one, even Jesus' enemies would deny. We cannot deny he's helping people. We cannot deny he's supernatural. Look number two at the Father. Jesus said, the Father is giving evidence of my works. And at his baptism, the Father would say, this is the Jewish Messiah. Follow him. And then he said, look at the scriptures. Because the scriptures all testify that this is what the Savior of the world will look like. Go study my life. Cross-reference it. I am him. Look at the scriptures because the scriptures will tell you about me. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, or you're here today and you're a new Christian, but you struggle with some spiritual things, somebody in the room or watching online should be asking this question about the scriptures. 
Well, how do we know those are true? I mean, the works of Jesus, those are all in the Bible. And what God said about Jesus, that's in the Bible. So like if the Bible is the only source, like how do we, how do we know we can trust the Bible? If we can trust the Bible, we can trust the rest of it. But if the Bible's not true, what else do we even know? That's a great question for a Christian to ask. I believe that is a question every Christian must know how to answer in the day and age that we live in. How do I know the scriptures are true? That's why in two weeks, we're starting a six-week series called Foundations, Why You Can Trust the Bible. I am going for six weeks. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm going to answer your questions about, can I really trust the Bible? But hopefully, I'm going to give you information so you can answer your friends' questions about, can I trust the Bible? Should I trust the Bible? Um, is it still something I should follow today? It's going to be an incredible series. I can't wait for that six weeks. I hope you're able to be here or catch it online every week of that series. It's going to be really crucial for the foundation of our church moving forward. But I think I'm more excited about what's happening in our kids' ministry. Because our kids' ministry, for some of you who grew up in church, is kind of going to old school, Awana, Bible quizzing, Bible bucks. Our kids are going to be able to earn points towards a special edition leather-bound J-Kids Bible that we're going to be giving away during this series to kids who are here and are pressing into Scripture as a foundation of their faith. Every time they're here, starting next Sunday, they're going to get a point or a, a dollar. Every time they bring their Bible, they're going to get a point or a dollar. Every time they have their scripture memorized, they're going to get a point or a dollar. Some of you are thinking like second grade parents, I'm going to have to do all the homework, aren't I? Yes, you're going to have to help them, but you might memorize the scriptures too. Every time they bring a friend, they're going to get a point or a dollar. They don't have to have perfect attendance to get it. They don't have to have all their verses memorized to get it, but they really got to be locked in during these six weeks. And for those who are, on October 6th after church, we're having a huge pizza party where I am personally going to give every one of the children who have met the objectives we set a, a J-Kids Bible and say this, this, not journey. Jesus and this word of God are the foundation of your faith. Man, hold on to it, Tyler. I told our kids ministry team, I want every elementary student who walks into the door of our church to be carrying a Bible when they come to church. It's a special book. It's a powerful book. You can trust it. These guys in Matthew chapter 21, they knew that. They just refused to believe it. They knew everything Jesus said, but they had rejected him. They were the son in the parable who their whole lives have been saying, we love God, but when God said do this, they said, no, we, we don't want to do that. From here, the story goes in two directions. What are these two directions? Two lessons. Number two, it's a lesson you don't need me to teach you. Actions speak louder than words spiritually. You do not need a Bible verse. You do not need a Bible story. You do not need a parable of Jesus to prove this point to you, actions speak louder than words spiritually. And here's why I know that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, the primary reason people who are not Christians struggle to follow Jesus is not because they don't have all the answers, it's because they see all the hypocrisy. Actions speak louder than words. And people who are interested in Jesus are just saying, I just don't know. It's not whether or not I'll buy it. I've got some friends who call themselves Christians. I don't think they buy it. Actions speak louder than words spiritually. You don't need a Bible story to tell you that, but this one does. And we know that because Jesus actually told a story that included the rest of the story. In churches, we often hear half the story and we base all of our judgments on half the story. Here is half the story. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus, raise your right hand and say, I will follow Jesus. And the church says, I will follow Jesus. And then we say, everyone who's opposed to Jesus, raise your left hand and say, I am not going to follow Jesus. We say, I'm not going to follow Jesus. And we said, there you have it. There's everyone who's following Jesus. And there's the people who aren't. And Jesus said, like, that's half, like, that's half the story. 
Because there are a lot of people who raise their right hand and say, I will follow Jesus, but they never do. Their actions speak louder than their words. And there are people who were born so separated spiritually from God that their whole life they've been saying no to Jesus, but at some point God's gonna touch their heart and you're gonna look at their life and think, holy cow, they love and follow Jesus. It's not the words that really declare your faith. It is your actions. So he would have told the Jewish leaders, you're out. And they would have protested with this. Hang on, we're not saying no, we're just saying not yet. We're not saying we don't believe in you. We're just saying we don't believe in you yet. As a matter of fact, every time these people came to Jesus, they would say this, just do one more thing and then we'll believe in you. Up to the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross and they're saying, if you'll come down, that will be enough. That'll be proof. Just one more, like they're, whole, they're waiting for one more thing, but it's more than that. It's not just one more act of power. What they're looking for in Jesus is an act of submission. See, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day weren't looking for a sign of power. They knew he had power. They admitted that power was evident in John the Baptist's ministry. They were looking for a sign of submission to their way of thinking and living. They didn't just want a powerful savior. They didn't just ask God to prove himself through supernatural acts. They were saying, prove you're a God we want to follow by doing things our way. Prove we are a God that we want to follow. Prove you're a God that we want to follow by doing things our way, and then we are all in. See, for three years, the words of the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day stated, we want and need a savior. They wanted it to be him because they wanted desperately to overthrow Rome and to set up an Israeli government that would rule the world. They desperately wanted that, but their actions stated that they didn't want a Lord. It was a breaking point for them. Now, here's something that might help illustrate that, that point to you. There are dozens of Hebrew names from God, for God in the Old Testament. The most prominent one is Yahweh. Yahweh in, in the Jewish faith, I mean, Yahweh is the God of heaven and earth. Yahweh is, is the eternal God. Yahweh is who controls, who created, controls, and runs the world. Yahweh is a big deal up in heaven. I think everyone in the world who considers themselves not an atheist would want to connect to Yahweh if there was one. If there was a God in heaven who created, controlled the world, and controlled eternity, we would say we would like to connect to him. So Yahweh, big deal in the Old Testament. Mashiach, it's a Jewish word, Messiah, in the Old Testament, really big deal. This is, this, this is the savior of the world that we're living in right now who forgives all of your past and directs all of your future. So in Jewish, in Jewish theology, Jewish history, Yahweh's a really big deal. God of, have, God, God of the heavens who created, controls heaven and earth and, and eternity. We want to be connected to Yahweh. Mashiach, big deal. This is the guy who forgives us for all the things we've gotten wrong. And in this lifetime, directs our life to be who God created us to be. But there's another Old Testament word for God called Adonai. And Adonai, it's a unique word. It means my Lord. It means my Father. It means my master. See, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they were cool with Yahweh. God in heaven, created, controls the earth, one day controls eternity. Of course I want that. Mashiach, a savior who will forgive everything wrong that I've done, who will forgive me and then walk with me in life so that this life goes the way it's supposed to, of course. But Adonai, somebody you're asking to let be in charge of the rest of my life? 
I don't know if I want that guy. Folks, we got to be honest. Not a ton has changed between the Jewish leaders and us. I mean, we all want Yahweh. We all need Mashiach. Adonai? So, I mean, be honest. Have you ever pictured rubbing a genie bottle and instead of seeing God pop out of the genie bottle to say, what do you need me to do for you? Have you ever considered rubbing a genie bottle and seeing yourself pop out and say to God, Master, your wish is my command? Does anyone in the room call God Master? That's strong. Sure is. Sure is. So strong, Jewish leaders said, no, we don't want that. So strong that some Christians think, I don't know if I want that. I don't know that every day of my life I can get up, look at God and say, Master, your wish is my command. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to reach? What do you want me to give? Who do you want me to pray for? Master? I mean, let's, let's be honest. 2019 America, let's be honest. Do we ever wake up, look at heaven and say, Master, your wish is my command. Say, so Christian, that's hard. You're right. And it was hard for the Jewish leaders. It tripped them up. So they kept saying, just do one more thing. Just do one more thing. And kind of show us that it's all about us. And then, and then we're all in. And Jesus said, you're missing the point. Remember what author and pastor Tim Keller says about being the master of God. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Like if you have a God who you will allow to be God, as long as he never tries to change your mind about anything, folks, that's not how it works. That's not Adonai. See, I want the God of heaven who created the earth and controls eternity. I want that guy. Mashiach, who forgives sin and helps me in this life. I want that guy. Adonai, who asks me every day to wake up and say, Master, your wish is my command. Like, can I, can I get two out of three? And Jesus says, nope, that's not, that's not how it works. Which helps us see in this parable, I love number three. I think it's so poignant in the world that we live in. We see number three, there is such thing as a dishonest skeptic. There is such thing as someone who would say they're seeking, who's actually already arrived at their destination. We were at youth camp this year, and our guest speaker was an evangelist by the name of Adrian Dupree. Uh, who came in and on one of the nights of camp, he did a Q&A with the kids. They could ask him anything. Nothing was off limits. And a lot of the kids were saying, hey, my friend has asked this question. My friend has asked this question. My friend has asked this question. And he got like into question five or six and he stopped and he said, now, it's important that you know this. He said, some of your friends are dishonest skeptics. And it's important for you to distinguish between a dishonest skeptic and somebody who truly is looking for answers because a dishonest skeptic actually looks for questions and arguments to support the position they've already chosen to hold. They are not searching. They are converting. And if you answer every question they have, they will find a new question because they've already decided what's true. So he said, you have to figure out what a dishonest skeptic is. In Matthew 21, we meet a dishonest skeptic, a group of them. Because Jesus says this, John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Okay, makes sense. The crazy guy in the wilderness wearing, wearing like camel hair, eating locust. Makes sense that 
At first, you might not believe that guy. Tax collectors and the prostitutes did. But even after you saw this, even after he was proven true, you still didn't repent and believe him. You are dishonest seekers. You are dishonest skeptics. You are not seriously looking for truth. You are just causing trouble. You say, what do we do with people like that? Because a lot of the people you've been talking to spiritually, they're dishonest skeptics. You answer every one of their questions and then they go find another question. What do we do for dishonest skeptics? We gotta pray for them. We gotta pray that God will break into their dark heart because Jesus told these guys, even if I could prove it in front of your eyes, you still wouldn't believe it because you've chosen not to believe it. We gotta start praying for dishonest skeptics and stop arguing with them. Because arguing with a dishonest skeptic is like wrestling with a pig, right? Like you both get muddy, but only the pig enjoys it. Like that, like that is the thought of constantly wrestling with a dishonest skeptic. Son number two, son number two, he was a liar. He was a liar. Like there's no other way to put it. Son number two was a liar. He was dishonest. His dad came to him in Matthew 21, 30. He said the same thing he said to his younger brother. Hey, will you, will you go to the field? The father went to the other son and said, will you go to the vineyard? And he answered, sure, I will. But he had no intention of ever doing it. There is such thing as a dishonest skeptic. I don't know that any parable we've covered this summer is as important to 2019 as this one. I mean, like this is real, like this is rubber hits the road. My Christianity today, my relationships, my friendships, my faith walk today. This is a great parable. Three unbelievable truths that every Christian needs to know. What are they? Evidence creates accountability. Don't ever forget it. We will learn the evidence, but it will make you accountable. Actions speak louder than words. Of course they do. Everyone knows that. And there is such thing as a dishonest skeptic. They need us to pray for them, but we don't need to argue with people who are trying to convert us. Great truth. Great truth. What do we do with it? What do we do with what we've just learned? Or we would say it this way. What's the point of this parable? Thanks for the lesson. What's the life application? Question number two, what's the point of this parable? There's two. Number one, lip service without life service misses the target spiritually. Lip service without life service. Every time God says, hey, I think this is your next step in life, and you say, God, I agree with you, and then you don't do it, misses the target spiritually. Jesus would say of the crowds that came to listen to him preach this as they were going away, Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips, man, but their hearts are far from me. Lots of, lots of lip service, very little life service. I know they don't mean it. Let me ask you a question. Look, look at me real quick. We're almost done. Let me ask every one of you a question. Is this you? A lot of lip service, very little life service. I mean, that's, that's the question of, of this parable. We shouldn't read it and be thinking about others. We, we should read this and think, holy cow, is that me? Do I give a lot of lip service to God, his plan for my life, his ways for my life, but no life service? Is, that me? is, is it you? Dad, is it you? Would your kids say it's you? My dad makes all these spiritual commitments, never follows through. Mom, is it you? Would your kids say it's you? Oh, my mom's always committing things to her. Then she backs out of them. Would your spouse say it's you? You've begun to read your Bible through every year. And by Valentine's, you don't. You've begun to pray, and then you don't. You hosted a small group, and then you don't. You started serving a church, and then you don't. Is it you? Because lip service without life service misses the target spiritually. 
Because if we read the rest of the story, Christianity is not just a decision, it's a direction in life. Christianity is not an answer to a question, will you? It's not a yes, no. It begins as a decision, but then it's played out over a direction. And what is the direction of Christianity? What does Christianity look like? Four things, to know Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, to find your purpose in Jesus, and to make a difference for Jesus. That's Christianity. Christianity is not, will you commit to this and raise your hand? That's how it begins. But then the direction of Christianity is four things. Know Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, find your purpose in Jesus, make a difference for Jesus. Do you know what the world is looking for? They're looking for this. We live in a world that just wants to know who God is. If he's real, they just want to know him. I promise you, even people who don't consider themselves Christians, if they could be convinced there was a God, they would want to know him. They would want him to help them. They would want to find their purpose so that every day they got up thinking, I'm doing something today that matters. And then they want to make a difference with that purpose. This is Christianity. And the, and the younger son did this. this. This is the ABCs and D of Christianity. And it is the proof of your faith. Remember proof of Jesus? I told you two goals today, proof of Jesus. The works, the father, the scripture. Proof of your faith, know God. You're being transformed by God. You're looking for your purpose in God. You're trying to make a difference for God. Proof of Jesus, proof of your faith. And you say, Christian, I would like to have that. I don't think that I do. What's the message for me? What's the point for me today? Maybe my favorite point of every parable that we've been in so far. Point number two is this. Repentance leading to second chances is real. You say, I don't know God. He's not changed my life. I don't know my purpose. I wake up every day. I don't even, I don't even want to go to work. I don't know what I'm created for. I don't know if I'm helping anybody, but I'd like to. Repentance leading to second chances is real. And Jesus made this so clear. Regardless of who you are, how you've been living, how you've been raised, Jesus says repentance leading to second chances is real. Look at verse 32 in Matthew 21 one more time. He said, John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did. Tax collectors and prostitutes 2,000 years ago weren't very highly thought of. You could compare them today like to probably tax collectors and prostitutes. Like, like, like maybe, maybe, maybe not a lot has changed. Like, it's possible some things are still the same as 2,000 years ago. Like, these were people who their whole life, every day, had said no to God. And then they said yes. See, I think the reason I love this parable is because it reminds me that some people are born, and every day of their life, they say no to God. Until one day they don't. And when they open their heart to Jesus, he changes everything. Every day of their life, they're saying no to God. And then one day they don't. And Jesus says, that's my boy. What about all the times he said no? No, no, no. That's my boy. That's my girl. Their whole life they said no until they didn't. That's my boy. Is that you? Is, is, is this maybe your story today? You know what the prostitutes and tax collectors would have said to John as they processed through this transition in their life? They would have said something like this, John, I'm not a good person, but I believe the good news. If it's for me, I want it. 
John, I'm not a good person. I'm ashamed to tell you what I do for a living. I'm ashamed to tell you how I treat people for a living. I'm not a good person. But man, I believe the good news. And if you're serious, I want it. Repentance leading to second chances is real. Do you need a second chance today? Christians in the room who have drifted so far from God, do you need a second chance today? Repentance, which means change in direction, is real for you. It's real for you if you need it. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're just waiting for that break in life, just need a chance to start over. You might say, I'm not a good person. But if that news is real, I'm in. You may have walked in today every day of your life saying no to God and walk out today with Jesus saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. But that choice is yours, only you can make it. You bow your head with me as we consider those things today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room and for those of you who are watching online. But God, I pray your spirit is moving on our hearts and I pray that hearts are open. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here today and you need a second chance, second chances are real. They're real when you follow Jesus. Whether you've never given your heart to Jesus or you need to recommit because currently your lip service doesn't match your life service, repentance leading to second chances is real. You say, how do I get there? I'm not a good person, but I believe that good news. How do I get it? Just tell God. The Bible says if you believe it in your heart, if you feel that spark from heaven, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, that means you pray. You'll be saved. You'll be changed. You'll be transformed. You'll be on a pathway to knowing God, being transformed, finding your purpose, making a difference. So I want that. How do I get it? Pray. If you don't know how to pray, you can repeat these words after me. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, just say this. God is listening. Say, God, I need a second chance. God, I'm not a good person. I've not been living the good Christian life you want me to, but I believe the good news. And I want to give you my, my heart for the first time or maybe for the most recent time, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive my sin, to cleanse my heart, to be my spiritual master. Teach me how to know Jesus, to be transformed and healed internally, to find my purpose, and to make a difference with my life. Today, by faith, which means I don't understand it all. But I feel like God wants me to believe it all. Today, by faith, I'm committing to follow you and surrender my heart to you. Accept me as I am, but make me more like Jesus. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer with me, I'd like to pray for you. Whether you're a Christian who has recommitted because you need another chance or whether... You've been saying no to God your whole life, but today God has said, say yes. And you're willing in faith to follow him. If you just prayed with me, I'd love to pray for you. I want to pray that you'll know God, that you'll be healed, that you'll find your purpose and that you'll make a difference 
in life with it. So here's what I'm going to do. In just a second, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask everyone to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed out of respect for you and the privacy and the vulnerability of this moment. And when I get to three, if you prayed with me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to count because some of you are Christians recommitting. Some of you are, for the very first time, are saying, I want to follow God. But I want to pray for you if today you need and you're asking for a second chance. If you prayed with me on the count of three, would you just raise your hands and let me know? One, two, three. Right now, just raise your hands all over the building. If you just prayed with me, I just want to pray for you. I'm just going to look over the room real quick. Awesome. You can put your hands down. God, I pray for these who are here today who need a second chance, who need a fresh start, who need to re-engage spiritually or maybe for the first time ever open their heart to you. Lord, for Christians who have drifted, bring them back quick. Like full speed, if they've drifted on a raft, bring them back in a speedboat. And God, for those who have not known you, their entire life they've said no to you, but today they changed their mind and said yes. Let them hear from heaven. That's my boy. That's my girl. I see you. I love you. I got you. I'm going to help you know me. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to help you discover the purpose I created you for, and then you're going to go fulfill it. God, touch and heal hearts and lives. The way Jesus has changed us, let us see that transformation in others. We're thankful for the teaching today. Really practical, good stuff. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for changing us. God, we pray you'll be with us. Let us give life service, not just lip service, actions, not just words. We love you, and God, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said...